The following audio is from the Grove Church Marysville campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. Um, I want to give you a, uh, not much of an update, really, but I mentioned to continue to pray about the property, and there isn't a lot of really new information. But the main thing is this. I just, uh, I'm just believing it based on some information that we can kind of wrap things up somehow this summer and move on and, and get that property sold. So just continue to pray with us that direction, and that would be awesome. Um, we're in a series called Happy Trails. Today's part three, and what we're doing is we're talking about the Psalms of Ascent. That's Psalm 120 through 135, uh, 34 in the Bible. And um, the Psalms of Ascent are, are specifically about uh, celebrating God's goodness or God's work as they pilgrimage to Jerusalem and sing together uh, these Psalms. And so today we're looking at Psalm 126, and it would be called the Psalm of Laughter. How many in here would say you love to laugh? Just raise your hands. Okay, and if you didn't, God help them all because they need to. But anyway, um, how, how many of you guys know of Reader's Digest? You guys have subscribed to it? Maybe you remember getting the magazines as a kid or your family or your grandparents or whatever. Um, well, inside of there, there's a different sections dedicated to humor. And I remember for years reading, you know, Life in These United States or um, Humor in Uniform is a military one. Laughter is the best medicine. But here's a couple of the stories I wanted to read for you from Humor in uniform. So a couple of military-related uh, stories that are kind of funny. This one uh, says, my high school assignment was to ask a veteran about World War II. Since my father had served in the Philippines during the war, I chose him. After a few basic questions, I very gingerly asked, did you ever kill anyone? Uh, Dad got quiet. Then in a soft voice, he said, probably. I was the cook. So... Um, <laughs> something there. Another one is this. During basic training at Fort Leavenworth, our sergeant asked if anyone had artistic abilities. Having been an architectural draftsman in civilian life, I raised my hand. Then the sergeant announced that everyone would get a three-day pass except me. I would stay behind and neatly print each soldier's name onto his army-issued underwear. Um, And then this one, the military has a long, proud tradition of pranking recruits. Here are some favorites from rallypoint.com. This one says, instructed a private in the mess hall to look for left-handed spatulas. Sent a recruit to get medical, sent a recruit to medical supplies office in search of fallopian tubes. Uh, And we're just gonna, we're just gonna keep going. So, um, had a new guy conduct a boom test on a howitzer by yelling boom down the tube in order to calibrate it. Uh, and then this one, ordered a private to bring back a five-gallon can of dehydrated water. So um, <laughs> there's something about laughter and celebration that's worth every ounce of the joy that, that it encircles. And even the Bible reminds us that there's power in laughter, that there's power in cheer. Um, Solomon, who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes in Scripture, which is just past the Psalms a little ways, says this, there's a time for everything under heaven. And you maybe have heard this before, but he talks about a time to weep and a time to laugh. Proverbs 17.22, if you're taking notes, a great one to write down. Proverbs 17.22 says this, A cheerful disposition is good for your health. Gloom and doom leave you bone tired. 
We've often quoted the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22, and we would do well to remind ourselves that one of the fruit of the Spirit is joy, that the evidence of living a Spirit-led life is that we have this deep-seated joy. And of course, at the end of Proverbs, if you've ever read about a woman of virtue, there's all kinds of ways that she's described in, in Proverbs 31, but one of the things is this, that she laughs at the future. And the, the question, why is that the case? Well, it's obviously because of something deeper than a chuckle at someone who does something dumb or a good stand-up comic routine. Psalm 126 gives us reason for laughter as we walk through it. And I'm going to read, we'll pray, and then we'll navigate the text. It says this, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Father, today as we pray, we ask that you would help us understand that in a world that, that sometimes is overwhelming, God, with bad news and with negative, God, in our own lives, we experience things that can be so burdensome that, that we lose our ability to be lighthearted at all. We lose our ability to even celebrate or have cheer or laugh. And God, I pray that as we look at this psalm in its context, it would help us understand we really need to laugh at times. So help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1 says this, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Now, let me go back in history a little bit in scripture and, and tell you that this psalm is what would be called a post-exilic psalm. You're like, well, what does that mean? Specifically, the nation of Israel began to uh, disagree in certain people groups and they split into two nations, Israel and Judah. Well, as time went on, there were different kings in each nation and over and over they became more wicked kings. They ended up up being overtaken and exiled by other nations, really because of their wickedness. They refused to turn to God, and the Lord had said, if you continue down this road, you will no longer be a nation, you will be you know, exiled, and that's exactly what happened. So when I say post-exilic, it means this, they were exiled, but then after a period of time, they were allowed to go back to Jerusalem and reestablish it, go back to their lands, but Jerusalem and reestablish it. If you've ever read Ezra or Nehemiah in scripture, it's part of the story of the rebuilding of the wall around Jerusalem and the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem after they came back. But the thing is, everything was decimated. The, 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 when you look at verse one, however, this is a moment where they're celebrating basically this. We cannot believe after years of prayer, years of petition, years of repentance to God about all that's gone on, we are amazed that God opened the door and performed a miracle so we were able to come back to Jerusalem. That's why it says we were like those who dreamed. I want to encourage you in the same way in your life and in my life, in just modern day, right where we're at at the Grove Church, right before Easter, um, we called a 20-day season of prayer and fasting and asked everybody to participate, whether you take a, a meal or you take a day or a couple of days and set aside food and really spend time in prayer. And we were praying about a few things. We were praying about some real movement and breakthrough with this church property stuff because it's been tied up in the courts for well over a year. And really, honestly, there was no end in sight, literally no end in sight. So we were praying for 
for that. And the good news is, based on some more recent conversations, I really believe, and it looks like they're possibly, I'm cautious, as you can tell, but, but there could possibly be a resolution coming. And I believe in part because we fasted and prayed, God is doing something that as, as he asked us to, to walk in obedience, he takes care of the other end. We asked for salvations. We said, hey, with Easter coming and, and you know what we're believing God for, we're asking God to move in, in your families, in our families, in, in our friendships and people around us. And we had over 150 people give their lives to faith in Christ on Easter Sunday, followed by uh, the week after 63 people getting baptized. And so once again, celebrating that, hey, we're, we're, we're dreaming here. We're praying. Uh, the, the other thing we had asked for as we're praying and fasting together is that God would really give us a vision to unite around that the best days of the Grove Church are not behind us as we look back and go, wow, there were some pretty amazing seasons, but we're believing together as we pray and spent time fasting and praying that God would bring us clarity for what the future is going to look like, for how we together are dreaming and thinking about making a difference in the communities that we're a part of, from Marysville to Stanwood to Arlington to Granite to Lake Stevens and Everett and Tulalip. We're believing that God has greater days ahead. And even this summer, right now as we speak, we're in the midst of carving out what we believe together, what that looks like. And it's a little premature, but I'm excited to, to share with you coming up some of the things we're dreaming and praying about. And so looking at prayer, and fasting, believing God has already done some pretty incredible work, man. We're in that place where it's like, hey, the Lord's restoring some fortunes and we're like those who dream. And then verse two, our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongues with songs of joy. Let me say also that Another, another example that, that God is just at work is one of our young people a year ago had a check, had a heart procedure done because of a medical problem and they had a checkup just a few weeks ago and at the checkup the doctor was dumbfounded saying, I can't believe your heart has healed like this. I can only explain it by saying it's a miracle. And I'm sitting here going, absolutely, that's a miracle because God is still in the miracle working business. And then this is a fun one more personally, but God is doing miracles because I actually had somebody reach out to me and say, we have a family that's literally out of country, but they're coming into country to visit and hang out. And we want to do a baptism. Would you meet me at Lake, would you meet us as a family at Lake Stevens on the last Sunday in June in the evening and do a baptism service? And I said, absolutely, I'll be there. So just celebrating what God is doing. Our mouths were filled with laughter our tongue with songs of joy. They were exuberant about the fact that they got to go back to the promised land that they had prayed God would send them back to. They laughed and they sang and they celebrated with joy. It makes me think of, and pardon me for saying this because I know you go, really, you're gonna, but like cool in the gang, celebrate good times, you know? Or, or I think of like Whitney Houston, I wanna dance with somebody, you know, that kind of thing, like that's awesome. And by the way, I'm not gonna sing it because you already endured one version and you didn't throw up and so we're good so far. On top of the fact that they were filled with joy, it said, and they will say among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. He has done great things for us. I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you really that, that when you have an answer to prayer, that when you're asking God to work in a certain way or do something and, and all of a sudden there's a moment where you see the answer or there's a breakthrough that happens or there's something different and you go, wow, God, you're awesome. Could I encourage you that in whatever form that it could take in your life, whether it's a social media post or as your family gathers and you're just sharing life or whatever, would you share what God has done at times? It doesn't have to come out as some weird manipulative preachy religious thing. It really can be a natural conversation, but it really is our duty 
duty to make sure that people understand when God answers our prayers, we really ought to be excited and be ready to share those things with anybody. I was thinking of, and this isn't a perfect example, but a couple of days ago I was taking a walk just by myself around the neighborhood and I ended up in a conversation with a neighbor that I really didn't know yet. And in the conversation, as we got to talking, he said this, you're a minister, right? And I didn't say anything. So I'm like, all right, who told on me? Anyway, um, I basically said, bless you, my child. No, I didn't really. So I said, yeah, I am. And, and so he just kind of asked me a couple of questions about church. He said, you know, said well, where, do you, where's, where are you guys at? I said, well, I'm in Marysville. We're at the Grove Church downtown. And um, as we got to talk, he said, so what's that been like? And here's the thing. It was a completely natural conversation for me to say, well, it's been, it's been quite a ride the last bunch of years. And what God has done through, through different ways that we've built bridges into the community is, is really given opportunity for people to, to know about Christ through who we are. I'm literally saying this to a neighbor that, that I don't know his background or anything. And it was a great conversation. I actually talked about iHeart and I said, we actually have an outreach coming up where we encourage people to, to, you know, carve out a day or two or whatever for maybe personal days at work or even vacation and come and serve and build bridges bridges all over the county through serving and loving because we want people to see the love of Christ. Now, that didn't come out as a weird preachy thing. It came out as a, hey, we're having a conversation and I'm simply sharing the reality of what God has done. And it was a great conversation as, you know, we kind of wound down, continue the conversation. I just kind of, hey, I'm going to head out and finish my walk. Great. Have a great day. And it was, it was another just, hey, this is what God has done. And it is fun to talk about. It is fun to celebrate when God is at work. It says, uh, the Lord has done great things and we are filled with joy. Verse four says, restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Now you go, well, what is that about? Restore our fortunes. I mean, God had already sent them back to the land that they really wanted to go back to, but it's this. After they were exiled and they returned, they, they had to rebuild the wall and they had to rebuild the temple. After it was all rebuilt and they celebrated, there's a moment where it says they couldn't tell the difference between laughing and weeping because some people were celebrating, but some people remembered the former glory and realized that it was nothing like it used to be. And so there's this sense of, okay, God has already brought us back and that's a miracle, but they're praying basically this, God, we know you've already done a lot, but would you continue to do even more? And and, and I wanna bring that tension to all of us once again. That for you and I, it really is a question. There are times where you pray and you ask and you believe God for something awesome and you take a step and you see him fulfill that prayer or that desire. But here's what it comes down to. I don't believe God is done yet. I don't believe God is done with the Grove Church. I don't believe God is done with your family. I don't believe God is done with you. I'm one of those people who has said forever that as long as you have breath, God has a purpose. And so I love that they're, they're going, hey, God, we're singing about how awesome you are and all that you've done. But God, would you continue to work? What if you made that your prayer? See, it's easy for followers of Christ that we just live on autopilot. Well, I mean, I, I go to a gathering on a Sunday and I kind of been in a life group at times or I've helped with it, but we're just kind of on autopilot. What are you asking God for? What are you asking God to do? What kind of dreams still reside in your heart that it would take an incredible work of the Holy Spirit to fulfill? Because I'm a huge believer that God still has something more for us, for you. And it's way too quiet in here and it makes me uncomfortable now. <laughs> Y'all aren't just checking the spiritual I attended church box, right? Okay, I, I'm just reminding, restore our fortunes. God's not done. And then finally, verse five and six, those who sow with tears 
will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping with seed to sow will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Think about, again, they were exiled. And they came back to their land, but their land was decimated. There was no longer crops that were regularly harvested and they were ready for a harvest or anything. Their land was absolutely destroyed after it had been taken over. So when they come back from exile and they rebuild the temple, they rebuild the wall, they try to reestablish themselves, part of reestablishing themselves is simply planting crops. And it said that they would go out. You can think about this, like everything's decimated, but we got to go out and retill the soil. We got to go back out and plant seed. We got to go back out and do what we're supposed to do. But it says that just, just trust that God is in this and you will reap that harvest. I love, and I've been a huge believer in Galatians 6, 9 for as long as I can remember being a follower of Christ. And if you want a verse to memorize, here's one for you. Write it down, Galatians 6, 9. Do not grow weary in well-doing for in due time, you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. It's a great reminder for us that we, there's things we ought to be dreaming about. And there's things we're, we're trying to work towards or, or, or move in the direction of that God has for us. Don't grow weary in the process. Don't grow weary because trials come your way. Don't grow weary because your expectations aren't being met. Trust that God has got something. And even though it can feel a little depressing at times just to go through the motions, even though it can feel depressing at times just to go to work and come home and read the Bible and take the step and take it. But there's something amazing that I really believe God still has for each of us as we continue to trust. Hey, I'm gonna continue to do what I'm called to do and God's gonna take care of that dream in my heart, that thing that I've believed he wa he's wanted to do for a long time. I remember, again, it's a reminder. There's a verse that says, though sorrow may last for a night. Finish it, anybody? Yeah, we know this verse. Though sorrow may last for a night, my joy comes in the morning. And for you and me, I don't know what it is sometimes about the evening wearing on into the darkness, wearing on into bedtime, where especially if you're brokenhearted or going through something, nighttime feels worse than daytime. You just feel like here comes the night and I can't even sleep right and I'm just stressed about it or I'm overwhelmed with or whatever. And that's the confession in that verse, though sorrow. It's an admission. There is sorrow. There is tough stuff, but it's not meant to be forever. Though sorrow may last for a night, my joy is coming. And it's a confession. It's a reminder. It's stirring ourselves up in the midst of, yes, things are overwhelming. Yes, Things aren't how I want them to be, but I'm trusting that in the midst of my heartache, there is a joy that will come my way. And of course, we have the ultimate reason to celebrate. See, when we go back to, you could say the, the, the virtuous woman in, in Proverbs 31 and she laughs at the days to come, well, partly because she understands the work and creation that God has put before her and it's awesome. But you and I, as New Testament followers of the Lord, of the God of heaven and earth, of our heavenly Father, God has done something far more incredible that gives us the ultimate reason to celebrate. 1 John 1, if you're taking notes, 1 John 1, starting at verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim regarding the word of life. The life appeared, and we have seen it and testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the 
Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son. And this is where he lets the cat out of the bag, Jesus Christ. That's not news to you and I, but he's putting it in a way to say there's a connection we have. There's something we have in what God has done through the work of Jesus Christ. And in verse 4, he says, we write this to make our joy complete. We have a joy that cannot be snuffed out because we always have Christ's work. Max Lucado, in his book, You'll Get Through This, reminds us of the power of Christ in what Paul wrote to the Philippian church. He, he writes it this way in his book, You'll Get Through This. Here's an interesting detail about his letter to the Philippians. Within its 104 verses, Paul mentioned Jesus 40 times. At an average of every 2.5 verses, Paul was talking about Christ. To me, the only important thing about living is Christ and dying would be profit for me, verse 121. Death, failure, betrayal, sickness, disappointment, they cannot take our joy because they cannot take our Jesus. His only aim was to know Jesus. Riches did not attract him. Applause did not matter to him. The grave did not intimidate him. All he wanted was more of Christ. As a result, he was content. In Jesus, Paul found all the satisfaction his heart desired. You and I can learn the same. Christ-based contentment turns us into strong people. Since no one can take our Christ, no one can take our joy. Can death take our joy? No, Jesus is greater than death. Can failure take our joy? No, Jesus is greater than our sin. Can betrayal take our joy? No, Jesus will never leave us. Can sickness take our joy? No, God has promised whether to, uh, on this side of the grave to heal us. Can disappointment take our joy? No, because even though our plans may not work out, we know God's plan will. Death, failure, betrayal, sickness, disappointment, they cannot take our joy because they cannot take our Jesus. Please underline this sentence. What you have in Christ is greater than anything you don't have in this life. See, there's something about for you and I. If you say you're a follower of Christ, then you believe that your heavenly father loves you so much that he wanted to deal with the issue of sin. The things you and I have done wrong and will forever commit sin. And it was dealt with because of, of God's love in Christ. Jesus went to the cross to pay the price for you and for me. Died, was buried, rose on the third day, defeating, Paul said, the final enemy, which is death, because of your heavenly Father's great love for you. And that can never be taken from you. So yes, you'll go through things. Yes, things can be overwhelming. Yes, there's times where we question in our world, what in the heck is going on around here? And yet we're reminded, if that's not reason to cheer, then nothing is. We will always have Christ. Can I hear an amen? amen. So there's two truths I want to encourage us to cling to in this message about the laughter psalm. The first one is this. In a tough world, we still need to cheer. And we forget that sometimes. In a tough world, we still need to cheer. And number two, cheer produces health. Let me explain a little bit. And right now what I'm going to do is I'm going to read some more. I'm going to read a couple of different individuals. You're like, didn't you write your own message? I mean, come on. So anyway, but <clears throat> uh, Chuck Swindoll wrote a book called Laugh Again. 
And uh, I actually picked it up last summer and my goal was to read it and I never picked it up. I, I grabbed it off my shelf, put it on my desk and it sat there until this last week for this message. I'm like, oh, great, perfect. So now I'm a poser. Anyway, so, but, but I love how, and I did, I, I, again, I read the book. In his book, he says this. He makes a few great points, but I wanted to read this. Someone once asked Mother Teresa what the job description was for anyone who might wish to work alongside her in the grimy streets and narrow alleys of Calcutta. Without hesitation, she mentioned only two things, the desire to work hard and a joyful attitude. Unfortunately, our country seems to have lost its spirit of fun and laughter. Recently, a Brazilian student studying at a nearby university told me that what amazes him the most about Americans is their lack of laughter. I found myself unable to refute his criticism. Just look around. Bad news, long faces, and heavy hearts are everywhere, even in houses of worship. Much of today's music promotes misery, sorrow, and despair. Newspapers thrive on tragedies and calamities and lost jobs and horrible accidents. The same can be said of TV. Even the weather reports give their primary attention to storms, droughts, and blizzards. Tomorrow is usually partly cloudy with a 20% chance of rain, never mostly clear with an 80% chance of sunshine. This long-faced, heavy-hearted attitude has invaded the ranks of our faith. Listen to this. Visit churches today and search for signs of happiness and sounds of laughter, and you often come away disappointed. Joy, here, here it is, the gigantic secret of the, of the Christian is conspicuous by its absence. I find that inexcusable. Some critics would be quick to point out that our times do not lend themselves to such an easygoing philosophy. They would ask, under these circumstances, how could I be anything but grim? To which I would reply, what are you doing under your circumstances? A good sense of humor enlivens our discernment and guards us from taking everything that comes down the pike too seriously. By remaining lighthearted, by refusing to allow our intensity to gain the mastery of our minds, we remain much more objective, which is a healthier place to be. There's always reasons to be doom and gloom. There will never not be reasons for doom and gloom. But as a follower of Christ, we are challenged, called even, to fight against that ongoing attitude. The secret, I love that he said it, the gigantic secret of the Christian is joy. I love how, and to be honest, part of our code, we talk about our code and we, we say, you know, um, we give up things we love for things we love even more. The church does not exist for us. We are the church and we exist for the world. We, we say we will lead the way with irrational generosity. We believe it's more blessed to give than to receive. We have all kinds of code on our wall about Christ-centered integrity and, and, and the work of salvation and the message, all that. But do you know one of the things on our wall that's part of our code? We will laugh hard, loud, and often. Nothing is more fun than serving God with people you love. Because we believe it should be fun. Yes, it's serious. Yes, yes, we're, we're serious. And we say it this way. We're serious about the saving work of Christ. We know the methods will change, but the message never will, absolutely. But at the same time, if you live like you look like you've been dipped in pickle juice, something's wrong, right? And so we say it as a code. We will laugh hard, loud, and often. If you're looking for a church where they don't laugh, then go somewhere else. It's not here. Sorry, love you. God bless. Finally, and I'm going to read one more thing, and someday I'll write my own message. Anyway. Just kidding. Cheer helps make us 
healthy. And to this, I'm going to go back to, we talked about some of these verses, but I'm going to go back to an article that was in Forbes magazine, an article by David DeSalvo that says this, intuitively we know that laughter is one of the best tools that we have for dealing with stress. And science backs that up. In fact, research into laughter goes even further, revealing that it's potent It's a potent drug with the contagious power of a virus that conveys a slew of benefits for the mind and body. Number one, laughter is a potent endorphin releaser. One of the most recent studies on laughter shows that laughing with others releases endorphins in the brain, our homegrown feel-good chemical. Number two, laughter contagiously forms social bonds. The endorphin effect described above explains why social laughter is so contagious. That's why when someone starts laughing, others will laugh even if they're not sure what everyone is laughing about. Right? You've experienced that, right? Number three, laughter fosters brain connectivity. Not all laughter is the same, it turns out, and decoding a laugh is important. Number four, laughter is central to relationships. A study showed that women laughed about 126% more than their male counterparts, while men seemed to instigate laughter the most. If you just elbowed your husband, knock it off. Okay? Listen to this. There's an interesting application of those results to how relationships form and are maintained. Women typically rate a sense of humor as a top three trait for a potential mate. Men tend to rate women who laugh a lot higher than those who don't. It's no surprise then that couples who laugh together report having higher quality relationships. Number five, laughter has an effect similar to antidepressants. And number six, laughter protects your heart. Research has shown that laughter has an anti-inflammatory effect that protects blood vessels and heart muscles from the damaging effects of cardiovascular disease. How this happens isn't entirely understood, but it seems related to lessening the body's stress response, which is directly uh, directly linked to increased inflammation. Regular, hearty laughter should probably be a part of every heart disease prevention program. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongue with songs of joy. God, today, I pray it would be more than just, that was nice. But it would be something that as we get into Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday this week, God, as we, as we hear news reports, as we see what we see, as we experience some of the seriousness of, of what we experience, I pray that we would still be committed to that deep-seated joy we find in Christ. I pray we would still be committed to finding those things that we can cheer and celebrate and be excited and laugh about. And I pray we would find it as a conviction that, God, we need to laugh that we need to be able to find celebration. And I pray for some in this room where where what we do is we look back, well, I used to. Well, that, that used to be a mark of my life, but do you know what I've been through? Do you know what I've seen? Do you know what happened? And the truth is, God, I don't. So many stories in this room right now, I don't know. And I don't want to minimize the fact that life hurts. At the same time, God, it doesn't mean we simply set aside our ability to celebrate or our ability to laugh 
in certain moments. We need it. We need it, God. And I pray in such a weird way that it would be a conviction to us. Similar to that challenge of, hey, let's, let's get into a regular habit of reading scripture. Hey, let, let's, let's find some certain music that's worship and truth filled and make that a discipline of our lives to listen to as we drive or go from place to place. Hey, I, I want to find those moments where I can set aside all that goes on that's so serious and grim and actually have a good laugh. We need it, God. And I pray it would be a conviction in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Marysville Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.